Manscaped presents Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Also brought to you by our partners at Foundation Physiotherapy, Ballistic Sports, and Georgetown Honda. This week, we catch up with Team Canada pitcher Andrew Albers, and he takes us through some of the highs of his career with Team Canada and some of the lows of his career, getting a chance to play with the hometown Blue Jays, but a very short one. Something that you always dreamt of as a kid, something you always thought would happen, right? When you're 10 years old, everybody thinks they're going to be a Major League Baseball player, and or at least if you like baseball, you do. And, and I mean, to actually get to do that, um, it, it's hard to describe. And now here's a man who had a much longer career with the Blue Jays, an awful lot more lows in it as well. It's Barry Davis. I, I, I actually going to say thank you for saying I had a career with the Blue Jays. That's pretty cool. I got a jersey behind me, right? Yep. It was a very short stint. It was a very short stint with the Blue Jays, and Andrew Albers is going to talk to us about that, as well as what has been going on with Team Canada. Now, depending on when you are listening or watching this program, Canada may or may not still have some games before the next tournament, and we'll see how things go. But the good news is Canada is moving to the next round, so we've got that to look forward to. Albers part of a no-hitter, and we'll find out what that was like to be a part of. Really fascinating guy and a Canadian-born guy, so we got to love that. we gotta, we got to stick up for our Canadian players here uh, from Saskatchewan. Now, also on the show today, speaking of Canadian, we're going to talk to a young player who's not Canadian, but he's a Toronto Blue Jays draft pick. His name is Davis Schneider, and he's an infielder, and he's playing right now for the Vancouver Canadians. We'll talk to him and find out what it is like to be a Blue Jays prospect during the COVID time and what it was like to miss almost an entire season of baseball last year. Raj Sapaya will join us. Tom, Kevin Biggio has a very long name for his injury. But as it turns out, it's a pretty simple thing. And one that all of us can probably understand. Exactly. Raj Sapaya will tell us about that. And up next, oh, I, I need to lash out just a little bit, Tom. You ready for that? All right, I'm ready. All right, there's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. You are listening to and watching Out of the Park. A play ball! Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, the first pitch with Barry Davis. And the first pitch is brought to you by our good friends here at Manscaped. Manscaped.com is the place to go. You can buy your lawnmower 4.0 right now. Use the promo code out of the park when you go to their website. You will save 20% and get free shipping. And here's a cool thing, Tom. Our pal Raj Sapaya went there and has already purchased his lawnmower. And that promo code works for anything on the site. So that's really cool. Yeah, 20% off. And you know what? We, we said this last week. I'm going to say it again this week. The, these are incredible pieces of technology. And, you know, we're, they're, they're leading us into the show with the first pitch. And the cool thing about the Manscaped machine, uh, anybody that follows baseball and is watching right now Trevor Bauer and the, 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 the pitching controversy about those RPMs going up and up and the substances being applied to the ball. Well, Manscaped gets right in along with that because, you know, Trevor Bauer's got this great fastball that's at 3,000 RPMs, but the Manscaped Clipper operates at 7,000 RPMs. It's so wonderfully put together that not only is it 
like unbelievably fast, unbelievably powerful, but I can personally attest it's also unbelievably gentle and safe to use on even the most sensitive areas of your skin. Ooh. So crank up your RPMs and make your life better, just like Trevor Bauer. And while this lawnmower trimmer talks about being for the groin grooming, uh, you can use it on your back, your chest, your arms. If you got that shoulder hair, you know, mm -hmm. maybe a great way to spend some romantic time with your partner. Hey, honey, can you shave me? We'll kind of do an all over thing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Head to manscaped.com right now. You see it right there across your screen. Check out the promo code out of the park. Save 20% and get yourself some free shipping. Okay. Can I ask you a question, Tom? Can you name an MLB manager in history that has never been criticized, never made a mistake, or never been fired? They're few and far between. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Part of what part of what goes with being a manager, unfortunately, or fortunately. Cito Gaston won two World Series with the Blue Jays. Was criticized. If there was social media, he would have been completely harassed about not being a good manager. He's lucky, this and that. Uh, John Gibbons. There was the hashtag fire Gibby for the longest time. And now Charlie Montoyo. So while Charlie Montoyo is not seeing anything new here when it comes to the way many fans criticize managers, I'm getting a little fed up with the whole thing that Charlie Montoyo needs to go because when they lose, it's his fault. And when they win, he just got lucky. It had nothing to do with him. Listen, did Charlie Montoyo screw up last week by not making a pitching change, by leaving a guy out who can't throw strikes? Yes, he made a mistake. But everyone makes mistakes. I would ask any one of you that are constantly on his managering, managerial skills to sit in his place for one day. Or I'd like you to go to work, have a crappy day at work, and then have everybody rip you on social media saying you should be fired from your job because you had a crappy day. You made a mistake. And, you know, there are an awful lot of people that will fire back at you with that and say, well, he's the manager of a big league club. He, this goes with the job. He should expect, you know, controversy when a bad decision happens. And sure. And and you know what? Up to a certain point, I'd agree with you. But what you're pointing out, I mean, let's face it, we've all been locked down here in this neck of the woods for a long time. And whether or not you're watching hockey, even before the Leafs lost. Whether or not you were watching basketball, it seems no matter where you're going in the Canadian media right now, there's angry people. Ooh. And and you know what? So for all those people that are really are hating on Montoya right now, A, I don't know why. I mean, we're, what, three games over 500 as we record this, despite how many injuries. Three. I think they're five or six games over 500 last I checked. There we go. Like, again, we're, you know, we're not on top of the division yet, but... My, I, I, with the injuries that we've had with our star player Springer, not even being really a part of the team yet, how can you not be happy with where we're at? I, you know, I just take a good long look. Even the games we're losing, we're in. How many times do you and I text back and forth during the game? And, you know, the Blue Jays will get down and, and I love it because even the nights that they're losing, we're making a game of it. 
they're coming back. The, this offense is the most exciting thing I've ever seen. And you know what? We may not win the World Series this year, but I defy you to say we don't have a chance. Many fans, and I'm not saying all fans, but many fans seem to have more issues and complaints and gripes when the team is playing well. Right? They just finished, they t- I think they did two of three from Cleveland. They took two of three from, uh, who was it they played? Boston. Right. It was just that, yeah, the, the, the Tampa series was a, was a train wreck. The Tampa series, but it's always been a train wreck. It's Bingo. always been a train wreck. And <laughs> if a manager is responsible for a player not performing, then he should be responsible when a player is performing. And again, a lot of what a manager does is a feel. You have a feel. And I would like any one of you who think he is a horrible manager, and I know I'm going to get ripped on this, but I'm, I, I'm fine with that. I would like any one of you to watch a game and jot down what you would do at that moment. And, you know, if Charlie's doing something different, you think that's stupid, and you write down what you would do, let's see how often you were right and he was wrong. Well, let me ask you one more question, Tom. When was the last time the Toronto Blue Jays played a home game? 2019. Okay? 2019. You can say that Dunedin, or now Buffalo, is their home. It's not their home. They're not playing in their own confines where they're going to their condos after the game. They're staying in apartments or whatever. Or, or, or hotels. The fact that this Blue Jays team is playing as well as it is right now, you have to spread the credit all around. Yeah. And Charlie Montoyo has done some really good things. He's done some really bad things, but so did John Gibbons, so did Cito Gast, and so did pretty much every manager in history. They all screw up. Maybe, maybe fans are upset that he's not owning up to those mistakes, but very few managers will say, yep, that was on me. I blew it. I made no, because then you're undermining yourself and you can't undermine yourself as a manager. Yeah. I mean, do you really want that? You know, I, no. I, that was my, my favorite part of the blue Jays for some years. It wasn't even the games. It was Gibby's press conferences after. Right. But that's not an important part of the manager's like job in terms of whether or not the team's going to win and lose based on what they do. Nobody, no games were won and lost by Gibby in the interview room after the game. Right. So yeah, I would say that, you know, what we're seeing from the Jays, I mean, everything's remote now, right? So the interviews are remote. The, it, it doesn't have a good feel. And I think whether or not you're watching it on, you know, TV or on the radio, I think that's something that every fan notices. And, and I think that that's something that Montoyo is, is trying to navigate, right? Another difficult thing that he's trying to get through and do the best with. So, you know what, if he, if he's not eloquent and perfect in all of his, you know, responses in those post-game pressers, I, I'm, I don't really care. All right, Tom, uh, still to come, we'll hear from Raj Sapaya. We'll hear from Andrew Albers. Uh, but up next, uh, and we want to thank the folks at Lake Ridge Sports Management who have uh, been absolutely wonderful stepping up to 
uh, help us secure a lot of future players. Many of them will be future Blue Jays who we'll have our conversations with. Uh, you go to LakeRidgeSports.com, and if you are the parent of a young ball player and you're looking for management agencies uh, or even advice, look them up. They're a great group of people. They are a Canadian company, and uh, let's support local, and let's help get some players locally uh, into the major leagues, including a gentleman that we're going to speak to next. There's Tom Forth. I'm Barry Davis. You are watching and listening to Out of the Park. Before Tom and I were starting to do this conversation, we were uh, looking at some video and some old photos of you, and you were playing for a team called the Dirtbags. Uh, first of all, the uniforms were just wild, and for people that are watching this, they can see this video. Tell us a little bit about the Dirtbags. Um, well, I only played with them for one year, my junior year, going into my senior year of high school. I knew them from my friend who played with them, so only played them for one year. And I lived down south. I'm from New Jersey, so I played down south with them for a year. But, yeah, their jerseys are not the best, you know, as you can tell, especially their pants or digital camo pants. But the only reason why we wore them is because we stand out and everyone know knew the dirtbags because of our pants, so... And if we won, they just said the team with the ugly pants. So <laughs> we once spoke to uh, former Blue Jay catcher Eric Kratz, and he played for a minor league team that they had like bacon strips down the side of their pants. Yeah. So like and it was like pictures of pigs and stuff like that. So it could be worse. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't <laughs> mind them. I mean, they're just pants, you know. So yeah. as long as as long as you play well in them, it doesn't really matter what you look like, you know. <laughs> You know, I'm going to jump in yeah. and change the subject a little bit. Uh, obviously, Davis, like a lot of other uh, aspiring baseball players, COVID has probably thrown some pretty significant roadblocks up at you. Um, I know your your season last year was basically kind of kiboshed. Um, this year, what are you up to? How is it going? How is it getting back into the game after taking that year off? Um, at first, it was kind of weird, you know, getting back into it. Uh, come spring training but you know as the months and days went by so far it's been just same old baseball you know go up to the field show up get your work in play you know just same old baseball but the year, having the year off you know it was kind of difficult at first just to you know you weren't playing you didn't know when you were going to go back whether you're even having a job at that point so it was kind of weird on that point but once we got back to spring training it was this same old as usual you know so what kind of things can you do as a ball player when you can't, I mean, sure you can throw, you can catch, you can take BP or whatever, but you really can't replicate that competition. So how do you stay in that competitive mode? At first it was hard because we had had no report date when we were going back. They literally didn't tell us anything. So at first, you know, we were, I was just kind of not taking it lightly, but, I kind of assumed that we weren't going to go back, just, you know, what was out there. So I kind of took some time off, you know, just to kind of, was kind of wanted to do nothing. But then as soon as the fall hit, I knew we were going to go back to spring training. I mean, it was just inevitable at that point. So you just do what you usually do, hit, train, kind of just wait until the season starts, and then you just go from there. It's just an extended period of, winner i guess you know <laughs> you just had more time to train and get better and stronger you know so coming into this year 
Um, was your preparation similar to has, uh, how it's been in years past? Or did you have to kind of redraw how you were getting ready for the season? Um, it was kind of the same when it comes to hitting. I still hit here and there during the summer just to stay loose in case we did go back in the fall. But, but when it came to winter, you know, I still took some time off from hitting because, you know, I didn't want to hit all all winter. You know, I just kind of wanted to stick to the game plan I usually do in the winter, take some time off from hitting, still work out and train. But hitting-wise, just, you know, take some time off and, you know, just let, just let your body recuperate from the hitting and just, you know, push that aside for a little bit. So it was kind of the same for the whole, whole way through. So I've, I've never met a guy whose first name was Davis, but I can tell you that I've been to Voorhees, New Jersey. Oh yeah. Yeah. What, when was back, that? Well, back when I used to cover hockey for a living, used to go out that way because the flyers have their practice facility out there. So yeah, yeah it's like five minutes from my house. Exactly. So growing up, were, were you a hockey fan at all? Not at all. Still not a hockey fan. So, well, that's going to have to change when you become oh, a yeah. Blue Jay, sir. <laughs> yeah. Everyone from my town is a Flyers fan, but me, me just growing up, I wasn't really a hockey fan. Kind of just watched baseball and football. That's all I really did. But I mean, everyone around me, all my friends, all my buddies are big Flyers fans. So I kind of got to know some of the players, but it wasn't anything big when it comes to my family just watching hockey so were the Phillies your team then as a kid yeah I would say yeah a lot of big Phillies fans by me I mean growing up watching Jimmy Rollins Chase Utley they were the guys so kind of enjoyed watching them at what point in time growing up did you really start to look at baseball as something you wanted to pursue and go forward with since I can remember I mean there was I mean I'm five foot eight you know not too, not too big. Can't really do any other sports if I play golf. But I mean, that's the only sport I was kind of good at. The only, only sport I kind of wanted to play. So it was kind of from day one, you know. I mean, we all have that dream. I, I'm five yeah. foot seven and a half, so I, I'm with you, man. Uh, it's one thing to say, you know, I, I like baseball. It's my favorite sport. But to actually get drafted by a major league team and and accomplish what you've accomplished to this point. Uh, was there a point where, you know, you kind of went up to your family and said, I want to be a baseball player for my career? Um, It was always kind of like that between me and my dad and my mom. You know, my dad always told me, even when I was like 12, you know, this is what you were meant to do. I mean, I didn't, when I was 12, I was like, yeah, I kind of just brushed him off, you know. I mean, he's just kind of living his own dream at that point. But um, as soon as like high school started, I was like, okay, I think I could, you know, continue this after college, after high school. So, I mean, I always wanted to play professional baseball, but I didn't know to the extent. And, you know, I'm fortunate enough to be here right now. So, you know, you're coming back from COVID, starting out this year. If you have the best year that you can possibly think of having, where are you at the end of the season this year? I mean, I would think I would probably, probably be in Hillsborough, high Vancouver. Because this is my opinion, I mean, the, the talent level up in double A is tremendous. And I'm not saying I'm um, not capable of playing at that level, but I feel like those guys are just, you know, just way, uh, not light years ahead of me, but just like talent level, age and everything. So, I mean, I'm, I'm fine with that. You know, just, just got to go out there, play every day. Nothing I can do about it, you know. 
is it hard to not look at what's happening with the Blue Jays right now and say, oh, man, I need to be a part of this. I want to get there as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, it's just what you play for. You know, you, you want to win, and the big league team is winning right now. They're a good young ball club, and, you know, they're having a lot of fun. And just watching highlights every day of, of you know, Bo and Vlad just having great years. You know, you, you want to be there yourself. You want to contribute any way you can. And it starts from starts in the minor leagues. So you got to do your job here so you can get there. What is the hardest thing? You know, a, a, a lot of fans don't really see that work that goes into creating a major league player. They don't see the six, the seven, the eight years, 10 years sometimes spent developing. Um, but as someone that's going through that process right now, what is the hardest thing for you that you're battling with day to day as you're moving forward? You know, I, I feel like just the grind every day, you know, and uh, being away from home, I would say just just playing every day, I would say just going to the ballpark. I mean, it does take a toll on your body, whether you're not playing that day, where you're you are playing that day. So, I mean, it's a long season and it. It sometimes it gets in your head mentally if you're doing bad, you know, if you're going good and you're doing bad. So I would just say just mentally wise, you know, just sticking with your game plan and just try not to the struggle, try not to let the struggles overcome, you know, what your future goal is. You know, it's interesting you say that because when we talk to current major league players, they say the exact same thing. Like the mental game is the hardest thing. I mean, the talent is there, right? You know how to hit a baseball. You know how to catch a baseball throw. But what this game can do to you mentally can just chew you up and spit yeah. you out. Uh, has it made you tougher mentally as you've gone on? For sure. I mean, there's times where I'm on top of the world where I, like, I can't get out, you know. And there's t- many times where I'm the worst hitter on the planet. <laughs> and I feel like it, it humbles you a lot to where, okay, I know where I'm at right now. I'm fortunate enough to be here. You just got to look at the positives at that point and not let, you know, the negatives overcome what you're trying to do out there, you know, because baseball, is, it sucks sometimes. So, you know, you got to you gotta do what you got to do and just go out there and just give everything you got. Yeah, think about it. If you fail 70% of the time, you're a career all-star. Yeah, I wish I failed 70% of the time, <laughs> right? you, know? you know? what I mean? Like, <laughs> it, it is. It's, it's a game that's that's meant to to be failure, right? And, and the least amount of failure means you're going to do well. That's a terrible way to look at it. But in some ways, that, that's kind of like the honest truth of it, right? But uh, do, they, do they do anything in the minor leagues as far as preparing young players mentally for the game as well as teaching you the, to play? Yeah, for sure. I feel like over the last couple of years, especially the Blue Jays, they got – um, a lot better with, you know, having mental coaches and, you know, having mental meetings and having one-on-ones with each player. And I feel like that's really important for some guys who really struggle with, you know, the mental aspect of the game. I mean, not me as much per se, but I know guys who just need that, you know, one-on-one and just talk it through. So I feel like that's a really big part of, you know, baseball today is just that mental stage and talking it through and figuring it out here in the head so i feel like the blue jays have really gotten on board with that and it really shows well blue jay fans up here in canada uh, we're really excited to see you develop and work your way through the system uh, i've seen so many players in you know my 30 plus years doing this that uh, have played for the vancouver canadians and made their way up to the blue jays 
Uh, listen, thanks for taking some time and spending with us. And uh, we're going to be watching your career and uh, can't wait to see you develop, sir. No, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. Foundation Physiotherapy presents The Medical Room. It is time once again for our weekly chat with Raj Sapaya from Foundation Physiotherapy. Now, Raj, before we get into the pleasantries, before we get into injuries, uh, Tom Forth, I believe that there's something that you would like to address with Raj Sapaya after, uh, well, a couple of weeks ago, it was just the two of us. You you were part of last week's Zoom, uh, Tom, and you you did nothing. You griped and complained to me, and you're facing Raj, and you didn't say a damn word. Now you got well. No, it was medical advice. It was medical advice that I wanted. Thank you, Barry and Raj. I'm sorry. It's you know a bit sensitive sometimes. Guys fighting injuries, they you know they the hardest thing to do is to reach out for help. So what I what I did want to know, Raj, from you is you know as a physiotherapist, is there anything you can do to help somebody get over a broken heart? <laughs> Because, you know, that that week that I missed you guys on the Zoom call, you know, I I caught the broadcast and and, you know, I heard I heard how much better it was without me there and and how happy you were to get rid of the third wheel. And and it it really hurt pretty bad. And I'm wondering, as a physiotherapist, is, is there anything you can recommend to help me get over that pain? Find a find a better looking physiotherapist. (laughs) <laughs> how is that possible raj how is that possible okay but then let's as- whoa, whoa, pump the brakes pump the brakes let's get the proper technical term it is a cervical spine ligament strain or sprain. 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 Okay. So Raj, yep. I, I, this is really personal for me as well because, as you know, I co-host with Barry every week and it would be really helpful for me to learn how to effectively deal with a pain in the neck. That's what it is. That's really what it is. It's a lot of words to describe a pain in the neck. <laughs> uh, that, that, that's, that's literally what I told Barry when I got the, when I got the update. I'm like, that's how they're describing neck pain, but I guess they have to use a lot of anatomical terms to make it sound, to make it sound whatever. So, um, but yeah, like cer- cervical spine is your is your neck because we have three different spines: our cervical spine, which is our neck; our thoracic spine, which is our upper back; and our lumbar spine, which is our lower back. So, cervical spine ligaments are, if you imagine the things that keep our bones together. Um, so they're not muscles; they're not the muscles that are kind of you know the big muscles that we see, but they're small, small structures that kind of t- keep our bones intact. Uh, you know, and a sprain would essentially mean that those ligaments have gotten a little bit loose. Um, and that's usually what creates neck pain. Uh, you know, it's usually through repetitive overuse. So it could be from a, a, a lot of rotating your head, a lot of whiplash type movements. So those ligaments over time get weak and, and loose. And that, that's what creates the sprain. But what the person feels is really neck pain. Raj, when you, not you personally, but when you as in people in general, wake up from a sleep and have that crick in your neck and you, you wake up and you just can't move the neck is is, is that a similar thing like or is that a completely different type of injury, injury. no i think I, I don't think that's an injury really i think that's more of like just tight muscles and, and you're stiff waking up you know your blood it just takes a few minutes for your blood to flow and start to get going 
Uh, I think in, in this case, uh, in Vigio's case, it's, it's, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's an injury as it is more repetitive, you know, it's, it's a repetitive load. Okay. You can call it an injury, but it's a repetitive load, right? Likely from a lot of overuse of, of those neck ligaments and the, and the wear, the wear and tear that goes through it. Um, it's creating some tension around the, those joints, um, which in sense he would feel as pain. Is this injury one of those things that can come back to bite him repetitively? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Like, again, is this, is this per se an injury? Like, you know, I'm not going to classify this as something like a sprained ankle in which you actually have like something that's torn and inflamed and you need to be off. Um, is this something more like a, you know, like those guys that get hamstring pulls, you know, uh, in which it's tight, you can probably go back to it, but it'll probably keep pulling. So I guess it depends on, again, can the team pull him out and properly rehab him for a few weeks? Um, or do they just want to kind of send him back unlimited minutes um, or do a little quick tune-ups here and there before going into the, going into the game. There's lots of ways to manage it. I think it comes down to the player, um, his role on the team, as well as uh, where the team might be and what they need of him. Raj, back in the eighties, whenever I would see an athlete, and it was more hockey players, maybe football players, even drummers when they had, bad necks. I remember Alex Van Halen would always be drumming with this big, huge neck brace back in the early 90s. Uh, does that help a situation like this, or is that just, you know, old methods that don't really work, and we just always just said, well, put a neck brace on, and it will help. Yeah, no, you because you, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you probably haven't seen a neck brace like that in years, probably in the last yeah. decade on anybody, right? Yeah, they, they don't do that anymore, because that, that actually makes the musician or the athlete weaker. Um, all it does is it like it's a short-term relief, like that can send them back into doing something today. Um, but you know, let's say a goalie had a big playoff game and and he had neck pain and they needed to put him in something today. They put him in that tonight, but um, for the for the day. But you know, in a regular season type type occasion like this in baseball, you know, you can afford to pull the player out, get his neck stronger for for maybe three or four weeks, and then send him back in. So I think you know we don't really brace the players the way that we used to. Is this just a matter of pain management uh, when you have a, an issue like this? I mean, if Kevin Biggio was one of those guys who just had a high threshold for pain, could he play through it? I think it's a bit of both. I think it's pain management. It's also preventing things from getting worse, right? Um, if you have the opportunity to pull the player out so you can restrict like that repetitive motion, why not, right? So it's about restricting, you know, this is a classic case of like a load management thing, right? It's not a truest injury in my opinion, but it's a way to restrict his load, restrict his minutes, while allowing him to kind of get stronger. All right. Go ahead, Tom. One more. Well, the, the only thing that I, when, when you say repetitive, I think about that third base motion, right? You, you going yep. right for the ball, turning yep. left for the, for first base. Could yep. this be something that impacts what position he's ends up being able to play in the future? Uh, I, I don't think, I mean, maybe a position that doesn't involve a lot of movement of the neck, maybe, maybe catcher. I don't know. Right. But, um, I, I don't, I think regardless of the position you play, um, you know, given that it is a, it's a professional sport and they're going to have to use those neck muscles a lot. Um, you know, the neck's also not just using the rotation, but the neck also is involved with the shoulder. So even if you're throwing, you're going to have to have strong neck muscles, right? So even if you are a catcher, you're going to have to throw, you're still going to have to have those muscles. So, um, regardless of the position, uh, you're likely going to have to have a strong neck. So I, I don't think it's going to change what he plays. Before we wrap, Raj, let's get some plugs in for Foundation Physiotherapy. 
Yeah, so uh, we're, we have three clinics in Toronto, plus a fourth one virtually. Give us a shout, foundationphysio.com. We'd love to help you out with your injuries or any aches and pains you're having. Physio, chiro, massage, foundationphysio.com. Hope to see you guys soon. Well, I may need to see you real soon because my neck and shoulders are aching from carrying you two bozos every week. So <laughs> Brace yourself. Oh, oh, by the way, Raj, there are no minutes in baseball, okay? Get it right. Oh, limit your hockey basketball guys. Sorry, there are no minutes in baseball because <laughs> it's, not, it's not, yeah. I mean, yeah, true. Hey, uh, by the way, since we've got you here, real quickly, speaking of hockey, there was that nasty hit that Mark Scheifele uh, threw out the other day. And whether or not it was a legal hit or not, um, like when you see something like ha- that happen, as a physiotherapist, do you just cringe and go, oh, my God, this guy is lucky that he's still able to be mobile? Yeah, it's it's both. Like you cringe, but then you, it's not like, you know, if you're not somebody in the medical field, you probably cringe more, right? Because you don't know. Like you're like, whoa, how is that guy not broken, right? Like we were, as, as much as we cringe, we also know that the human body is quite resilient. It's quite strong. Uh, so like, you know, people saw that even that Tavares hit I'm like, whoa, how, how did his neck not snap off? Right. Um, it was nasty, but we've also seen so much of it. You kind of get deconditioned, you know, we, we one, see one the school, we have a sports injury course. Like we're seeing all that stuff all the time. So, all right, before we go, do you want, do you want to see something really cringe worthy? Go for it. Look at Tom. <laughs> see you next week, boys. Well, joining us now is a guy that we're very hopeful will take Canada to the Olympics and uh, be a big part of the Olympics and Team Canada. Andrew Albers joins us. And uh, Andrew, before we get into the future, I do want to look back at that opening game uh, where you and a couple of other relievers combined on a no-hitter. First of all, in your you know professional, any career, have you ever thrown seven no-hit innings? I'd probably have to go back to college in order to uh, find a time where I'd gone, gotten through seven, at least with no hits. Uh, actually, my first start in college, I think I went seven and two-thirds with no-hit baseball, and that was probably the closest I ever got until uh, until last night. Wow. So going into the game, did you feel like you were dialed in, or was it something that, you know, maybe you started off feeling, you know, none too good, and the, as the innings rolled by, you got you got better and better with it? Yeah, I mean, you, you never know how things are going to go. I give up, I tend to give up a lot of hits. Uh, it's part of the way I pitch. Uh, I try to pitch to contact, and a lot of times some of those balls fall. And uh, luckily for me, uh, the other night, you know, they, they got hit at guys. The defense was great behind me. Uh, infield was solid. We made a couple of nice plays in the outfield, and Deglin did a great job behind the plate. So all those things kind of fell into place, and, and I was fortunate enough to get through seven without any balls finding, finding grass. You talk about the defense. 
And, you know, you, you yourself have, have pitched kind of all over the world. We've been in Japan, South Korea, Quebec. Um, but coming together with a Team Canada like this, how difficult is it? You know, because there's players from all over the world that maybe haven't played together at all. You've got limited time to get, get rolling. And, you know, the first thing you said about the no-hitter is how great the defense is. How difficult is it? for that team to get together and click at that level? I mean, it's always a little bit of a challenge. Obviously, when you're not familiar with each other, there are some bumps along the way and, and some things you've got to try to acclimatize yourself with uh, in a hurry. Uh, the nice thing about baseball is the dimensions never change. Uh, it's not like you're trying to run set plays like maybe basketball or even hockey or, or football or anything like that. So, so it's a little bit easier to get that chemistry or to gel a little bit quicker, certainly on the defensive end. Um, the pitching is still the same, you know, it's the mound 60 feet, six inches away and you're still trying to throw it across the plate. So that's the one nice thing with baseball. When you, when you come together and, and you only have about a week or so playing together, uh, those, those, those types of things don't change. So it's a little bit easier to come together that way. Yeah. There's a lot of young players on this team. And then there's, a, you know, this group of veteran guys, uh, uh, well, Richmond doesn't even count because he's like 20, 30 years older than everyone else. Right. Like he's about the same age as Ernie Witt, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, I'm only well, easy now. <laughs> hey, we, we got quite a few guys that aren't too far behind him. So it's not like there's a huge gap. There. <laughs> but what does it mean to have these veteran guys uh, on this team and, and really give a nice blend between the young guys and the older guys? Yeah, I think we have a good mix. And, and with these WSBC tournaments, that's a lot of times kind of what you have uh, when it's non 40 man eligible or non 40 man roster guys. And then it's tough during this time of year for guys to leave their affiliated teams because if they're in AAA or even in AA and you don't want them giving up a shot of possibly making a big league club or they're trying to make good impressions on their affiliated squad. And, uh, you know, especially after not having played last year for guys to miss a, a year and then part of a minor league season, it, it, it's just tough. It, it's a, it was tough for a lot of guys to get away. And I think that's part of the reason you see this, this mix of veterans who maybe haven't been in affiliated ball for a couple of years that have come back. Uh, Obviously, we've got great leadership and guys like Richmond and Axford and Scott Matheson and Jonathan Mallow and, and Mulliken, all guys that, you know, anytime you call on them and, and you ask them to come compete and come compete for Canada, they they throw everything down and they're there in a heartbeat. Um, love having those guys here. Love how they compete. And they're a big part of this deal, you know, and obviously with the younger guys, uh, guys that have been playing a little bit more recently, uh, you know, certainly have some talent. Uh, it makes it a lot easier to, to have them fit in and, and to gel with them and, and try to make this as cohesive as, of a unit as possible. And that's something I feel like we always do pretty well with this group is uh, you get together, the team chemistry builds pretty immediately. You're fortunate enough to play with some of the same guys over and over again. And, and you know, we have a lot of fun with it and, and we grind it out and, and play hard, play our tails off and, and compete as hard as we can. And, you know, we've been pretty fortunate to have some success in the past and hopefully that'll continue. Coming together like that and you know, yourself are kind of viewed as, as an elder statesman on the team. You know, Watch it now. Watch it now. <laughs> hey, hey well. there's, there's a bunch of guys that are older than me, so I'll take that one right now. It's all right. I'm older than all of you, so it doesn't matter. We can use the term leader as well. But, you know, you're looking at these young players. Um, you've got years of experience playing with Team Canada and playing for Team Canada. Looking at all these young players coming up this year, how does it make you feel for the future of Team Canada and Canada baseball? Yeah, I think the future's bright. I think we've got a lot of young talent, uh, not only just with the players here, but you're seeing guys cracking into the big leagues at a younger and younger age. I mean, guys like 
Naylor and O'Neill and Soroka and Quantrill, you know, those, those guys, unfortunately they were just too good. Otherwise they might be here right now. Um, so, you know, it, it's great for, for baseball Canada in general and for baseball in Canada. It's a little bit unfortunate for our team that, that's here right now that those guys got there so quick, uh, but you love to see it. And certainly the talent that's here from the young guys, especially, you know, uh, baseball in Canada, I think there's a bright future. Uh, I don't think Greg Hamilton gets enough credit for what he does with that junior national team and what he does for the program base uh, for the baseball Canada program in general. I mean, he's, he's just phenomenal. He makes guys, he makes it easy for guys to come back and play because he, because he want to play for him and for, for the country. And, and, you know, he makes it such a great experience and the job that he does not only with the senior team, but with the junior team, uh, you can't give him enough credit. And too often, I think it goes unnoticed. You are now south of the border, and as you're probably well aware, we're still, well, at least in Ontario, still in a lockdown right now, and there's no certainties. We have no idea, you know, what next week's going to hold. What are you guys being told about the Olympics and the agenda of it being scheduled? Are they telling you anything? For us, we don't have a lot of that information, certainly not as players. Uh, we're kind of just taking it as everything's a go, and, you know, we're, we're getting ready for it that way. I think that's kind of the only way you can approach it right now. Obviously, there were some shifts already within the last week or two where we, uh, if we finished second or third, originally we were supposed to head to Taiwan. And last week that got changed to Mexico City. So for us, we're just kind of trying to roll with it as, as, as we go. And, and again, those are things that we can't really control. So those are things you try not to worry about. For us, we're just trying to get as prepared as we can to go out and play every day. And, and that's where your mindset is. And that's what you're focused on. And the other stuff, you know, that that's not something that, that we have any say in. So you let that stuff take care of itself and hopefully put yourself in a position where it actually matters. Nice to have fans, though, to play for like you guys did the last couple of games, huh? Yeah, I had a great atmosphere last night against Cuba. A lot of Cuban fans there and, and they uh, they were raucous and rowdy and it was a lot of fun. It was certainly nice, uh, nice playing some in front of some of the fans. Uh, I was fortunate enough to play in Japan last year where they opened it up a little bit by the end of the season. So you know, it's always nice when you get that energy from the fans and you get that atmosphere and it just makes the competition a little bit more fun and gets the heart rate going a little bit more and, and just uh, just makes everything uh, a little more lively. So as we're recording this, uh, coming off, Team Canada's coming off the loss to Cuba. We've got two big games ahead of us. How are you feeling? How is the team feeling heading into them? Yeah, obviously today was a tough day. We lost to Venezuela 5 uh, was just It was just a tough day. Had a rain delay yesterday with Cuba. Late game. Didn't get back to the hotel till about two o'clock in the morning. Day game today, uh, just a tough day. Unfortunately, we came out a little bit flat. Um, the guys tried to dig deep and, and tried to compete, and, and you know we just it was tough. We came up a little bit short today, put ourselves in a little bit of a tough spot going forward. Uh, the tournament has a little bit of a weird format where the two teams who advance from your pool, your record against that team counts. So we're zero and one going into the the super round here, which obviously you're digging yourself a little bit of a hole to begin with. So not quite where we want to be, but at the same time, our fate's still in our own hands. If we can win the next two games, we'll at least go to Mexico. It's not a guaranteed thing that we'll win, win it all. Um, we'll need some help in order to do that. But, you know, at least uh, our fate's still in our own hands where we can control the, the fact that we're not necessarily done yet. So we, uh, we got to try to take care of business and win the next two games and then, uh, then go from there. All right. We're done talking shop now because we don't want to be media. That's the last thing we want. Oh, we, okay. We don't this want to be asking. Me. All right. No, no, no we, we don't do those types of questions here. You know, we, we, we talk to people, <laughs> but we had to get that out of the way because it is such a newsworthy thing and people want to know. Uh, okay. I had a question for you and that is 
when I first started in the uh, media industry, I did a lot of trips to Vancouver covering the Leafs. And whenever I would talk to people from Vancouver and I would, they knew that I was the Blue Jays guy there too. And they'd always say, oh, nobody in Vancouver gives a crap about baseball. Everybody loves hockey here. Well, you got to realize you're talking to a Prairie boy here, right? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so I, I don't know if I'm exactly the right person to ask that question to. Well, that's, but... Yeah, yeah. This is even worse, really, when you think about it. I mean, Prairies is hockey, man. That's all it is, is hockey. There's no question. Football. I mean, obviously, I think that there's definitely some talent there in BC. There's definitely a big pocket there. Uh, they, they run a great program with that Premier League that they have. Uh, you know, you have the UBC there. You certainly have some really some talented players coming out of there. I think the one thing when you're on the island or you're, you're in Vancouver, you're right there by Seattle, too. So, I mean, you maybe get some of that over there as well, some of that influence. Um, and obviously, you know, you, you get a little bit better season than certainly on the prairies, at least. And, uh, and you get to play a little bit more. There's some good coaching over there. There's some guys that have been around and, and all those things factor in. And, and I mean, they're good athletes over there, obviously, as well. So I think that a combination of all those things is why, why you're seeing a lot of players come out of B.C., a lot of players are coming out of Ontario as well for the same reasons. And, you know, hopefully uh, in places like the Prairies, you know, Saskatchewan, Alberta, you know, some of the maritime provinces, Quebec, uh, starting to catch up, starting to get some quality coaching there and, and some facilities and things like that. So hopefully that'll, uh, that'll help those places catch up and we'll be able to produce a, a few more players as well. So how the hell do you do it in the winter when you are learning baseball? I mean, Tom here has your son's 11, right? And he's a pitcher. Yeah. And yep. there's a lot of there's a lot more technology, a lot more things you can do indoors now than I'm sure there was when when you were growing up. So what did you do? I played volleyball, basketball, and badminton. Nice. There we go. Yep. Played played my four months of baseball in the summer. Obviously, that changed a little bit when I went to college. Uh, got got to focus a lot more on the baseball. And you know, coming into pro ball, sometimes you just got to get creative. Uh, I've gotten ready for many a pro season in a high school gym with aerobics mats for a mound and throwing the ball up against cinder blocks, letting it come back. And, you know, that's just uh, something you got to work with sometimes. And I, I don't mind doing it. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it, it's a good way for me. It's, it's worked for me to get uh, as a way to get ready. And uh, like I said, sometimes you just got to get a little bit creative out there and, and find a way to, uh, to get the job done and, and to get things done. So, so that's been my solution at least. You know, it's funny. I remember growing up, I was the kid that would always drag his friends out. Like not even, I wouldn't wait for the snow to melt. I'd wait for the first nice sunny day where you could, you know, you could play catch without gloves on and I'd be out there doing it. And the first time I took my son to one of these indoor game, uh, indoor facilities was about five years ago. And I was blown away. It was like Xanadu. Like you could play baseball here all year round, but you know, you're saying you yourself didn't have that either. And you did play all those other sports. At what point in time, did you decide that's it? It's going to be baseball or was baseball always your number one or was it something that as you developed as a player? Yeah. I mean, I think for me, because I had success early on, obviously playing in Saskatchewan, the level of baseball that I played, I didn't even play at the highest level in Saskatchewan. Um, so, you know, had some success early on and, and obviously success breeds confidence. And when you're confident, you, you feel, you feel good about yourself and you feel like, you know, you can compete at a higher level and, and have success and all those kinds of good things. So certainly baseball was always my number one. I, I really enjoyed the other sports and getting to play them in the off season. Uh, and I played them all through high school. You know, uh, when I was growing up, the specialization wasn't a huge thing yet. I would play a little bit of baseball, maybe in the winter, you know, drive down to Saskatoon or something uh, once a week for, for just to throw or, or to get some swings in some things like that. But, you know, there, there was a lot of time off. I'm a big, big proponent of taking some time, especially with baseball, especially being young, 
you know, the wear and tear on the arm and things like that. Uh, I think it's important to have a rest period as well. And so that all played into it. Uh, certainly, as I got to grade 11 and grade 12, I started taking baseball a little bit more seriously. It looked like I might have an opportunity to go down and play in the States, you know, get, get, a, get an education that way. And so, you know, you tried to look for opportunities that way. But I was very fortunate to, to be where I was at. My dad coached me all the way through, uh, spent a lot of time with him, and, and it was kind of just me and him. I shouldn't say just me and him, but but he was he was a big part and an integral part of, of my development in those early days and helped get me get me get me to where I got. So I'm uh, very thankful for that. You get drafted in 2004 by the Brewers, 12th round, but you don't sign with them. And we've we've spoken to a number of, of players that have decided you know to go back in the draft. Whatever. What was your story? <laughs> well, I thought I was the biggest overdraft in in history, or certainly that year. <laughs> um, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I actually was. <laughs> I was actually out at a senior school trip when I got drafted. I wasn't even home. I didn't find out till later on that night. You had no clue. You had no idea. You were I had no that. idea. I, well, you got to remember, this is before smartphones, right? So it's not like I had the internet <laughs> in the palm of my hand. So yeah, I, I didn't know. Um, I found out at about 10 or 11 o'clock that night. I, I had no idea that it was coming because I talked to some teams and I felt really comfortable with the scholarship offer I had going to the University of Kentucky and didn't think I was really ready to, to, to go the pro ball route. I was coming out of North Battleford, Saskatchewan, small town kid, blue collar, a buck 67 coming out of high school. And, you know, had, had never really lifted, had never played at a really high level, you know, all those good things. And just didn't think the pro route was really an option and found out later on that night that, that I got drafted in the 12th round and it, it shocked me. Um, but again, for all those reasons, education was something that was important to me. I didn't think I was ready for the pro life and, and being out on my own and it would have been Arizona at that point in time. And, and I just thought uh, the better decision for me was to go to school. And I was very fortunate to, to go to a place like Kentucky, had a great pitching coach there, a guy by the name of Gary Henderson, who was, uh, I can't say enough good things about him. I mean, without the tutelage there, uh, my career is a lot shorter than what it's been. So uh, I think it was the right decision for me. And I got to be around some great people, got some great experiences in college. Uh, got to make some lifelong friends and, and it's certainly, uh, certainly a decision. Certainly the, I think it was certainly the right decision for me and, and not one that I really look back on. And rarely do I wonder what would have happened if I would have gone the other way. Okay. You were 19 or 20, right? Around that age, 19, 20, 19, yeah. 19. Yeah. How does a 19 year old have the maturity and wherewithal to make a decision like that when there's probably money sitting right here that you could have had, like, how do you, how easy or how tough was that for you? Well, I mean, I guess the thought that is, you know, you, th you feel like you're going to go to college and you feel like you're going to get better. And then maybe you get drafted three years later and you get more money was to be honest, was, was one of the thoughts anyways. It was like, Hey, you know, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to get to lift. I'm going to get to play against some of the best competition, best college conference, probably in the country. And, uh, and I'm going to get drafted higher and I'm going to be better um, was really the thought process I had, uh, or at least one of them. And yeah, there was a little bit of money attached to that. But at the same time, like I said, I felt pretty comfortable with the uh, scholarship offer that I had. And, and I just, I, I didn't think I was ready. You know, again, being from the small town, I'd never lived on my own. I'd never really been out on my own, anything like that. Maturity wise, from, a, from just a life skills perspective, I, I wasn't there yet. And I was fortunate enough to have some smart people around me that gave me some really good advice that, that steered me in the right direction. And uh, so it made that decision a little bit easier. And uh, like I said, just very fortunate to have good people in my corner that, that were giving me good advice. You know, you say as a boy, you know, coming from North Battleford, Saskatchewan, 
baseball's taking you to some pretty amazing places. You know, you played in, as uh, we discussed already, Quebec, Korea, Japan. Um, when you look back at all your experiences, where was your favorite place to play? What was your favorite team that you ever played on? Oh, I, I mean, college, like, like nothing's going to replace the college days. Um, get, get, getting to go there, you, you competing with those guys for four years. Again, some of, some of my best friends are from there. Um, the, the coaching that we had, the, the, those are some of the great, greatest times I've had playing baseball. I actually, this one's probably going to come as a surprise, but I really enjoyed my independent ball season in Quebec in 2010. Really? Uh, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Quebec was a great city. Loved my time there. And the nice thing about the independent ball is it's all about winning. Um, you know, and as far as the season goes, now this obviously isn't taking into account the national teams where you go to the tournaments. I'm just talking about just straight seasons here, not, not just tournaments. Mm-hmm. Um, the national team would definitely, definitely be up there if, we, if we're talking tournaments. Yeah. But for seasons, Quebec's up there. Uh, it, it was one of the most fun seasons I've had. We made the playoffs. We ended up winning the championship. Um, I haven't been a part of a lot of playoff teams, unfortunately, in my baseball career. Uh, but at the same time, you know, that, that was a special one. The minors is a bit of a grind. You know, unfortunately, winning isn't the main priority in a lot of those places. It's all about player development. So you lose a little bit of something there. You know, guys, it's hard not to be selfish in the minors. You know, if somebody goes out there and does bad and it makes you look good and it's just not really the attitude or the mindset that you want to have or that's that builds chemistry or that builds relationships or anything like that. So it's tough that way. Um, obviously, when I debuted the year in 2013 and those first two starts in Minnesota, I mean, they were a dream come true. Uh, could never have imagined it going that way. So, so those nights were certainly uh, two of the highlights of my life or career or anything that's happened to me thus, thus far. Um, getting to be in the part of the playoff hunt in Seattle was, it was a great time. So, I mean, I think between kind of those four seasons, those are, those are my biggest highlights. Those are the seasons I remember the most. And then actually getting to go play in Japan. I, I really enjoyed my time there. Uh, you know, certainly the first year getting off to a good start, had a really good first half, made an all-star team there. Uh, it was a blast. Unfortunately, the next couple of years, I just wasn't able to stay quite as healthy as I would have liked. Uh, but, but they treated me extremely well, loved the baseball, loved the culture there. Love the fans. Uh, had a great time. And, and I've just been so fortunate to get to experience so many different things and so many different cultures and places. It's, it's hard to narrow it down. I, there are great, great things about every place that I've been. And, uh, and there's certainly been highlights all, all, over the, all, all over the place. Now, you were only with the Blue Jays for a short time. And before, I get, yeah, before we get into that experience, there's a picture <laughs> of you. And for people that are watching uh, this show on Sunday, you'll see this picture of you juggling. Oh, shoot. Okay, so is that legit? Can you juggle? Oh, I can juggle. They got me in spring training. I can't remember what happened. I think they asked something, do you have any weird talents? And they had some baseballs there, so I started juggling. We won't get into how I got into juggling a little bit. but Oh, come on. Come on. I was was a cool kid in high school that was in a juggling and magic club for a little bit. No, wait, that's awesome. I I don't have any magic tricks, though. So before you ask, I don't have any magic tricks. What's the biggest? Let's just say I've walked on stilts and juggled before, though. So we'll we'll leave it at that. Okay, you got to send me some pictures of that. I got to see. Well, I don't know if anyone has pictures. Those are hard (laughs) to find. Okay, so. It's North Paddleford, Saskatchewan, remember. Right. What is the, the biggest thing you ever juggled? And what's the most dangerous thing you've ever juggled? And are they the I same? once juggled flaming torches. Were you already a pitcher at this time? Well, I was still in high school at this time. Okay, okay. And they, they weren't the big flames. They kind of died down. But 
we had a guy that was actually pretty good with the magic and the juggling stuff and he had them. And so I lit him up and he let me juggle him at one point in time. And I didn't do it for long and it, would, it didn't do anything fancy, but you start with the bowling pins, then you can go on to like dull knives. Then you get to go to the torches. How many baseballs can you do? Oh man, I can do four for a very brief period of time. Yeah. It doesn't last very long. I'm a little bit rusty, but I can do three all day long, do a few little tricks with them. But some I've been able to do for a while. You got lots of time in the bullpen to practice. <laughs> there are worse things you could be doing in that bullpen, right? Well, I mean, when you're playing summer ball, you're playing winter ball, or you're playing in different places, you know, sometimes you got to pass the time. So you brush up on some skills that aren't very useful in day-to-day -day life. <laughs> you know, what's the hardest thing? You, 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 you sort of hint at the grind, right? And that, you know, that day after day in the bullpen. What's the hardest thing about, the just the career of the, that a pitcher goes through and that grind. I, I mean, I think there's two ways of looking at that. I think one of the, one of the most difficult things is staying healthy. Um, and I mean, I think you see that all the time. You see so many talented guys these days, especially that throw so hard and, you know, they come up and whether they were overused maybe a little bit when they were younger or just aren't ready for that full minor league season, you know, you see a lot of guys go down with injuries and, I, I can't tell you how many guys I've seen that are super talented that should have been up in the big leagues that just never got there because they couldn't stay healthy. So I think that's one of the biggest things when it comes to the grind, especially biggest and most difficult for guys to do. And then I think the other thing is trying to stay motivated. You know, every day that you go out there when you're at the ballpark, every single day uh, in the minor league season, you get eight or nine days off a year. You know, they're few and far between. And trying to find a way to stay motivated because every appearance matters. You're not always going to feel good. You're not always going to go out there with your best stuff. You're going to have some, you're going to take some bumps and, and finding a way to get motivated, to continue to get your work in, to continue to prepare yourself at a young age, especially when, when your body still feel good, feels good, you know, it gets a little bit easier or I shouldn't say easier, but you, you understand it a little better as you get older that you need to put that time into to the prep work in order to feel good enough to go out and compete with all these young, talented guys. Uh, but when you're younger, sometimes you feel like you can get away with it. So finding that motivation to go get that workout in or to go do your conditioning or, or things like that, it, it can be very difficult. And I think that's a big part of the grind. And when you're just there every day, obviously baseball is not the most taxing sport physically, but trying to engage yourself mentally, trying to find a way to get better when you're not playing all those kinds of little things can, can be mentally taxing and, can, and are certainly difficult trying to do it, whatever it is, 164 days a year. So there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, there's, there's a lot of things like that. And I think that's, uh, that's part of it. And, and again, with the young guys, it, just trying to stay healthy, you know, throwing a baseball, such an unnatural motion, you put so much stress on your arm, especially the harder you throw. Luckily for me, you know, throwing hard wasn't a big issue. Um, so I didn't have that problem as much as a lot of the guys, but you know, it's still tough. It's it, the body still, you get out, you get done throwing a hundred pitches about as hard as you can. And the body doesn't feel real good the next day, or at least not after 27, 28. So it's, uh, it's finding a way to get yourself ready for that next time out and, and go out and compete and do it all over again. Andrew, you mentioned the brief stint with the Blue Jays. Now, before I ask this question, I will preface this by asking, were you a Blue Jays fan growing up? Of course. I mean, Canadian okay. kid, I, I was a Blue Jays and Expos fan for sure. Okay. So what did that mean to put on that uniform for you? Did it, did it have, like when you walked into the clubhouse for the first time and you saw a Blue Jays uni with Albers on it, that must have done something to you. Oh, it was special. I mean, 
I wish it would have been more than a day long, but but certainly my time out there was special. You know, getting to go out and, and pitch in a Blue Jays uniform, even though it wasn't in the Sky Dome or sorry, Rogers Center now. No, Sky Dome. Sky Dome um, works here. Yeah, you know, it was uh, it was a dream come true. It's something that you always dreamt of as a kid. Something you always thought would happen, right? When you're 10 years old, everybody thinks they're going to be a major league baseball player, and or at least if you like baseball, you do. And and I mean to actually get to do that, um, it, it's hard to describe. Yeah, I wish the outing would have gone a little bit better. I came and gave up a homer to the first guy I faced with two of Burley's guys on base. And, you know, so it wasn't didn't get off to a great start. After that, it was all right. But, you know, at the same time, just getting to go out there and, and getting to pitch for, quote, unquote, your hometown team, uh, it, it was really special. And, and it's certainly something that, that I'll cherish, a memory I won't forget, and, and one that I was very thankful that I, that I got to have. What we do every week on this show is we invite a few fans to, uh, to join us. And uh, they usually have better questions than I do. And I bet you uh, they all know that you are not from BC. As long as they don't confuse me with Scott Richmond, we'll be all right. Oh, man. Yeah, that that was pretty poor, wasn't it? (laughs) Uh, I love Rich. I do. Great uh, guy. Great guy. But he should have told you this was going to be a video show. Yeah, well, it's all good. totally dropped it on that one. All right. uh, With us, we have Sue, we have John, and we have Fiona. Uh, Sue? Uh, you can begin. Say hello to Andrew. Hello, Andrew. Thank you so much for doing this. Um, it's great. You've been so interesting to listen to. And I was really pleased to hear you gave some credit to Greg Hamilton. And before I ask anything, I would just like you to, if you get a chance, say hi to Greg Hamilton from Sue and John. Will do. And, wish, and wish him all the best. Your time in Korea and Japan, what you said it was a great experience, but can you sort of say, if you had any time off, what were the highlights that you you sort of went to visit or see? Yeah, so I, I got a little bit more time in Japan than I did in Korea. Uh, in Korea, unfortunately, my bubble was really small. We were always with the team. Uh, we didn't get, I didn't learn how to use public transportation like the train. I didn't have a vehicle or anything to get around. So my experiences in Korea, I didn't get to go see a whole lot. Uh, being in Japan for the last few years, uh, we rented a car. We got a little bit more free time as starting pitchers. So I, I got to go out and see a few more things. Got to see a lot of their temples and shrines. They do an amazing job preserving uh, their, their historical landmarks and things of that nature. Uh, Nara was about an hour away from me by train, and it's a big tourist attraction. That's where they have the deer that roam the streets. Uh, they also, I believe, have the largest indoor Buddha statue in the world. Um, so that's a pretty neat little tourist destination. Uh, I'm trying to think, went to a, went to a really neat theme park that had some of the best roller coasters in the world over there. Okay. Um, Tokyo is always the nightlife in Tokyo, you know, getting to see the lights and getting to just wander around a couple of those districts at night are it's pretty neat. Uh, that was certainly a highlight of mine. Uh, little things like that, but, but really in Japan, getting around to see some of the country, uh, immersing myself in that culture a little bit more than I was able to in Korea. I certainly appreciate it. And the people there were just, they were so nice and so kind. And the organization treated me really well, gave me a great place to stay, helped me get around whatever I needed. And uh, so my time there, I really enjoyed. And, and those were some of my highlights from uh, from Japan, at least for sure. Wow. Thank Sue, great question as always. Thank and, you. You know, we were chatting with uh, Justin Smoke just before he went to Japan. To play there this season. Oh, I didn't know Smoke went over there. I played against him in college. Yeah, yeah. He's playing over there right now, and, and he's tearing it up. And he, he's having a great start to the season. So many of these American players go there, and they just bash the ball in Japan. 
Uh, in Korea, they do. In Japan, not always. No. It, so it's no, I, would, I would have said I would have said that oppositely. Korea is much really? more of a hitters league. In Japan, in Japan, it's hit or miss. Some guys go over there and do really, really well, but some guys go over there and really struggle. Uh, the game's played a little bit differently over there. You don't have the velocity that you have here. Um, I haven't seen I haven't seen what kind of start smoke got off to. I, like I said, I didn't realize it was in Japan, um, but certainly Korea, the level of pitching isn't quite as good as what it is in Japan. Um, but I, but uh, you see some guys go over there, like you said, and, and they do do really well, but some guys really struggle. So uh, Japan, I would say, is actually more of a defensive league, p- pitching and defensive league than Korea is. Uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised to hear that, but uh, good for him. Yeah, well, I guess, it, you know, he's off to a good start, so he's got to think yeah. it's a hitter's league. <laughs> yeah. uh, Fiona, you're up next. Say hello to Andrew. Hi, Andrew. It's nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Uh, my question's along the same lines as Sue's, actually. I'm just wondering, the time you spent in Japan and Korea, did you learn the languages at all? Can you speak any Japanese or Korean? So in Korea, not really. Uh, I was only there for one year. And during that year, it was just about trying to get to the right place at the right time. And, <laughs> and, you know, I learned how to say hello. I learned how to say thank you. And after that, not much. I, in Japan, I got a little bit more. Again, that first year, it's just about trying to trying to make sure you're getting to the right place at the right time. And you know, making sure that you're you're not the last guy on the bus or or that you're not missing anything or any meetings or anything like that. Uh, my second year, I did a little bit better job learning the language. I'm not fluent by any stretch of the imagination. I can understand bits and pieces and I can piece together some sentences. Uh, in both of those places, we had translators, which was great for us, but at the same time, use them as a crutch so that you don't necessarily have to learn the language or do as good of a job as you should maybe uh, learning that language. So to answer your question, I know a little bit of Japanese, not enough to carry on a conversation. Now. Thank you. Out of, the, out of the two places, which has the better food? Oh, good question, Tom. This is a good one. I would say Japan. Uh, Korea, it depends on what you like. Korea, they love their spicy food. Uh, I wasn't a big spicy food fan. They love their soups and broths. And, I mean, we'd go have dinner and the Korean guys would be eating up these soups and just be sweating bullets and just loving it. <laughs> And I, I just, no, it wasn't for me. Um, but Japan's got great food. They have a great variety. They have some really great beef over there. I'm a big meat and potatoes kind of guy growing up on an acreage in Saskatchewan. Uh, so, so that diet kind of fit me a little bit better. Obviously, the rice curries and the ramen noodles, a lot of good ramen over there. The sushi is great. Granted, I didn't touch the stuff. I'm not a sushi guy. There you go. But uh, I was going to ask you if you eat uncooked food. And I, I, I've tried a few, tried some sashimi and things like that. You know, when you're over there, you have to. Uh, but at the same time, not uh, not my delicacy, not my not my uh, food of choice. There you go. <laughs> John, you're up next and you are our final question of the night. How does a young man in uh, North Battleford, Saskatchewan, city of 15. Uh, I looked get, it up. Uh, get, yeah, I did get drafted and go to go to become a Kentucky Wildcat in Lexington, Kentucky. I know hey, that city. It's a beautiful city. Stop showing great off, city. showing off, John. <laughs> You're going to make me look bad. <laughs> great, great city. Great college town. When you get to play sports there, it's a great college town. More of a basketball town, but hey, still a great city. Um, and that's a great question. There's probably a reason there's only been one of us that, that, that's managed to do that. Uh, but you know, I, I got fortunate. I I've been blessed and, and I, and I got lucky and caught a few breaks along the way. Uh, I used to play in, uh, I played for team Saskatchewan in the Canada cup a couple of years okay. when I was 16, 17. And, uh, there was a coach who at the time was with Oregon state. That was my pitching coach guy by the name of Gary Henderson. 
would go up and watch that tournament every year. And he saw me playing that a couple of years uh, in a row. I guess he liked something that he saw there. And actually I, I have a late birthday. So I graduated a year late and he had actually started recruiting me in my junior year, which at the time was a minor violation. When I explained to him that I was only a junior instead of a senior, he stopped obviously, but he thought I was a year ahead. And uh, he ended up taking a job the next year in Lexington, Kentucky, at the University of Kentucky, and kind of just took me with him as a, as a recruit. And I was so impressed with him, with his visits and with talking with him on the phone. He had amazing credentials. He had been assistant coach of the year once or twice already. He had coached a ton of pro guys. Um, pretty much every high school guy that he had gotten that had been drafted, got drafted higher when he was done with them. Like just an amazing, amazing coach. And again, don't have enough good things to say about him. Uh, he was phenomenal in my player development and, and in my development as a person as well. Uh, I wouldn't be where I am today without him. And so, you know, with all those things, considering all those things, I didn't have a lot of other offers uh, coming out of high school. I could have gone to the University of Niagara uh, in New York, uh, in a really nice school. It just wasn't quite on the same level baseball-wise that Kentucky was. Or I could have gone to the University of Pepperdine in, in Malibu, California. And I went and I took a visit there and it was an unbelievable place. The campus was incredible and they lived right across the interstate from the ocean. And I went there and I, uh, my jaw just dropped and, you know, in California. And unfortunately, I, I don't think a kid like me from North Alfred, Saskatchewan was, uh, was going to fit in there real well. So it made, uh, made going to Lexington a little bit easier. Felt like I fit in a little bit better there, a little more than what I was used to. And, and again, I, I think it was the right decision for me. I uh, got to be around some great people in my time there, got some great coaching, and uh, was really thankful for that opportunity. Okay, you have to answer this honestly, okay? When was the last time you spent a full winter in Saskatchewan? <laughs> 2020? Come on! Does, does, well, three does three months count? Like, I'm back there every offseason. Which so three months? Point. My, my season finished. <laughs> well, but my season finished in, in November. I went back and I stayed the whole winter in Saskatchewan. Good for you. I do so it every when, year. So when you go to Florida, I mean, it must feel like unbelievable difference. I mean, do you do you do you, do you prefer the cooler weather? Or like this, that the extreme heat bother you at all? I mean, I, I like the humidity. In Florida in spring's great. I mean, in February and, and March, it's, it's oh, yeah. awesome, right? It's not that hot yet, so it's fine. Uh, Japan was really hot in the summertime as well. Humid, very similar to Florida. I like a little bit of humidity with the baseball. I, I don't think anyone loves the cold, certainly not the Saskatchewan cold anyways. I know you people in Toronto and BC are like, oh, well, it's a dry cold, but I'll tell you what, when it's minus 40, <laughs> it's, it's, still, it's still really cold. So um, I don't care what you guys say about that. Uh, but, uh, you know, yeah, I, I go back home pretty much every off season, a uh, couple of last couple of years, I've been doing some rehab. So, I mean, that's part of the reason, but uh, you know, every off season that I played over in the States, I'd go home. I shoot, I substitute taught until 2018 when I went over to Japan and I probably still would have done it if it wasn't for the injuries or it wasn't for, uh, for some things like that. So, you know, I, I enjoy going back home and enjoy getting to be a part of that community and part of the community of Saskatchewan and, and all those good things. What, what did you teach? I suck, so that. it would be anything. I'm certified in phys ed and health, of course, but I've taught everything from math to French to whatever else you can think of for a day or two. Did you ever have any trouble with the kids? Because I remember when I was in school and we'd get a substitute teacher, it was kind of, you know, the class kind of. Oh, you screw with them big time. School. Yeah, yeah, basically. Well, so did, any, any problems? Well, luckily, I think I have an intimidating enough presence and I was in the school often enough. I'd help coach a little basketball. So I knew a lot of the kids. 
um, do some things like that. And, and being in there pretty much every day, like it was at my old high school. So I knew a lot of the staff, the kids knew that they were going to see me again. So if they acted like, you know, little turds that they, they were probably still going to have to see me again. And, and they're, you know, I can, I could still scare a lot of the younger ones a little bit if I needed to, you know, if I need to get their attention and give them a little, you know, Hey, you're right, 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 right there. Right. Make them stop doing what they're doing and, and pay attention, you know, could still do that for the most part. And again, kids are kids, you know, they don't care about what you do. They care about how you treat them. And as long as you treat them well and respectfully and, you showed them that you were there trying to help them and, and work hard for them. You know, they, they were good for the most part. Obviously we all have our bad days and you have a few of those too with, with some of those kids. And, but, but again, it, it was a great experience. I, I really enjoyed doing it. It was a lot of fun. And, and I, uh, I had a good time with most of the kids. Well, listen, Andrew, by the time this airs, you guys will have already played your game against the U S but the bottom line is you guys are going off to the next round. Uh, so all of us here, we wish you guys nothing but the best. Man, we would love to see Canada play in the Olympics, and we really hope it happens. And, uh, man, look forward to seeing you back on that mound again and keep keep uh, throwing strikes, my man. Really appreciate it. Thanks for all the support from back home, guys. We love it, and we really appreciate it. It means a lot, and thanks for having me, Barry. There is Andrew Albers, uh, very briefly a Blue Jay, but longtime Canadian baseball player. Uh, Tom, uh, once again, our OTP insiders showed up ask great questions but we want more of you involved we want to see a lot of faces involved this is a really cool opportunity next week we'll be chatting with jesse carlson we've already recorded that and uh jesse's super fan came out of the woodwork became an otp insider and she was able to join in this is fantastic when your favorite players are coming on you know it's worth signing up and how would one do that tom you go to patreon.com slash out of the park $3 a month, $5 a month, any level of support for us is going to get you, you know, a membership with all the access you want to OTP, all the stuff we're doing here, all the interviews that we give. Yes. So go there right now, become an OTP insider and sit in on our next Zoom. So we've got a lot of people to thank. We want to thank Andrew Albers. We want to thank Davis Schneider. And we want to thank our pal Raj Sapaya. Well, Tom, uh, like Davis Schneider, I'm not very tall. Uh, like Andrew Albers, I'm a lefty. And like Raj Sapaya, I am a big pain in the neck. <laughs> I'm not going to argue. Yeah, I was actually going to say you're a big pain in the neck, but, you know... I know, you were, kind, you were kind to me and I did not reciprocate. You did not. So I shall say farewell and thanks to all of you for making us a part of your week. All right. 